Friends, we're now in the midst of a sermon series about our church's new vision statement, a place to belong, believe, and love like Jesus. We started with the importance of belonging because people need to find love and acceptance in a church. Today is the first of three messages about what it means to believe, to trust in Christ and his gospel message, which is the very heartbeat of our church. Gospel literally means good news, something which is all too rare in our world. Our media is filled with mostly bad news, as you well know. The central theme of Paul's Christian manifesto, his letter to the church at Rome, is the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the first 17 verses, in fact, of that document, Paul uses the Greek word euangelion, meaning good news or gospel, a total of five times. So it's central or this, the focus of this letter. Speaking of good news and bad news, a man was in the hospital with two very badly shattered legs due to a car accident, and his surgeon reported, I have good news and bad news for you today. So the patient asked the surgeon for the bad news first, and he replied, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this, but we need to amputate both your legs. The patient was understandably upset, but still thought, well, what's the good news? The surgeon replied, the guy in the next room wants to buy your sneakers. The, this good news, bad news scenario involves a lawyer and his client who is in jail. The lawyer told his client, I have some good news and bad news for you. The client said, well, give me the bad news first. And the lawyer reported, the bad news is that your DNA test showed your blood all over the crime scene. Oh, no, I'm ruined, said the client. What's the good news? The lawyer reported, the good news is your cholesterol is down to 130. <laughs> well, with that introduction, let's hear about the gospel or good news of Christ from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 16 and 17, as read for us today by David Paul. And as we hear this text, listen for what it tells us about the gospel of Christ. The scripture readings today are from Romans 1, verses 1 through 6, and verses 16 through 17. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verses 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. The word of the Lord. 
Friends, what do we learn about the gospel from that reading? I want to mention seven ingredients which Paul lifts up for us. First, Paul calls this good news, this gospel of, he calls the good news the gospel of God, meaning that God is the source, the authority behind the gospel message. Further, Paul tells us that this good news, this gospel, was promised through God's spokespeople, the prophets, in Holy Scripture. Therefore, the Christian message is in fulfillment of and in continuity with the writings of the Hebrew prophets and the promises of God. Second, Paul talks about the gospel concerning God's Son. So Christ Jesus, God's one-of-a-kind Son, is both the initiator and the content of that good news Paul describes Jesus as descended from David according to the flesh. This affirms Jesus' authentic humanity and his direct connection to the royal house of King David. So as messianic king, Jesus is a true son of David. Paul then says Jesus was declared son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, God's Holy Spirit, by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, since Paul himself teaches elsewhere that the pre-incarnate Christ existed eternally with God, Paul isn't saying Jesus became Son of God at his resurrection. Perhaps he means that before his resurrection, the earthly Jesus appeared as the Son of God in weakness and lowliness, especially in his suffering and death. Whereas after his resurrection, he was manifest as the Son of God in power and as Lord directly connecting Jesus with Almighty God, the one true and living Lord. Third, Paul notes that he was set apart for this gospel, this gospel of Christ. He was called to be a servant or slave of Jesus Christ to serve his gospel message as an apostle, literally a sent one. And if you want to read about what that led Paul to do, his three missionary journeys as well as his journey to Rome, you simply need to read the Acts of the Apostles. Fourth, Paul notes that through the gospel we have received grace, God's unmerited acceptance, favor, forgiveness, God's surprise gift love in Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel is not a message which has merit-based, performance-oriented preconditions. In our Reformed tradition, we endorse Paul's message that we are saved by grace through faith as a gift of God in Christ and not because of our own human achievements or religious works. Presbyterian pastor Tim Keller suggests religion in general teaches, I obey... Therefore, I am accepted by God. Whereas the Christian gospel teaches, I'm accepted by God through what Christ has done. Therefore, in response, I would add in grateful response, I obey. Dale will say much more about that next week. However, that emphasis on grace doesn't mean that faith and obedience are opposed to one another. Because fifth, Paul says his apostolic goal is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. 
Paul's referring here to obedience as the spirit-inspired response that faith produces in us. An obedience which is inherently part of faith. Paul is telling us here, in other words, that authentic faith is active by nature, not passive or static. 20th century German Lutheran pastor, theologian, and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer comments that we must never lose sight of the essential unity of faith and obedience. Faith, he writes, is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. An example comes from Bonhoeffer's own life. He was a leading dissident pastor and spokesperson for the Confessing Church, a small portion of the German Christian Church which opposed Hitler's Nazi regime in the early 1930s. Bonhoeffer spoke out publicly against Hitler's first attack on the Jews, saying a church which discriminated against people because of race was no longer the Church of Jesus Christ. On June 12, 1939, Bonhoeffer arrived in New York City to teach at Union Theological Seminary at the invitation of Professor Reinhold Niebuhr. Almost immediately, once in the United States and, and safely away from Nazi officials, Bonhoeffer deeply regretted his decision to come to the U.S., and he wrote to Niebuhr about why he must return to Germany, though in doing so he knew he was putting his life in grave danger. This is what he wrote to Niebuhr. I've made a terrible mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period of our national history with the Christian people of Germany. I, have no, I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization may survive, or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying our civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make that choice in security. And so he returned to Germany, landing in Berlin on July 27, 1939, knowing again he was putting his life at risk. Hitler invaded Poland and began World War II on September 1 of that year, just uh, less than six weeks later. Having been tangentially involved in a plot to assassinate the Fuhrer, Bonhoeffer was arrested and thrown into Tegel Prison in 1943. About two years later, on April 8, 1945, just weeks before the war in Europe ended, Bonhoeffer was hanged at Flossenburg concentration camp by order of Hitler himself. Bonhoeffer's faith, friends, had motivated and empowered him to act, to oppose Adolf Hitler as an act of Christian obedience to God and the gospel. So friends, our trust in God, in Christ, in the gospel must not remain simple assent, mental assent, intellectual assent to theological truth, which leaves our attitudes and our behaviors untouched. Quite the opposite. Our faith or trust in Christ certainly involves doctrine. It certainly involves theological truth. But that belief should be active, 
not static, and lead to ongoing change and transformation. An example of Paul's active view of faith is found in his letter to the churches of Galatia in which he writes, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. So Paul views faith as an active, not static reality, and which becomes visible through acts of love. And that's one way, many ways, but through acts of love is one central way. In verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, many scholars think that Paul gives us his thesis statement for the entire letter to the church at Rome. And his focus is once again on the gospel. He writes in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, i.e. to the non-Jew. So everyone's included. So the sixth thing, friends, we learn about the gospel of Christ, according to Paul, is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation that is universal in scope. It's intended for all peoples, all nations, all ethnicities. God's covenant people, the Jews, are of course included, but so are all the Gentiles. This is good news for everyone, with no exceptions. The gospel is good news for both women and men, rich and poor, capitalists and communists, young and old, for all ethnicities everywhere. Verse 17 at the end includes a quotation from the prophet Habakkuk, and it reads, For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Now the Greek translation of that verse from Habakkuk renders the end of that passage as God saying, the righteousness will live by my faithfulness. So I would say the seventh and the final thing we learn about the gospel from Paul in this text today is that it reveals the righteousness of God through God's faithfulness for our faith, our personal trust. This means the gospel is an expression of God's faithfulness as God fulfills that central covenant promise to Abram to bless all people through his descendants, specifically through Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the announcement of that fulfillment in and through Jesus Christ. And we receive that gospel as a gift by personal faith. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but whenever the risen Christ appears in the New Testament, it's very infrequently, he reinforces the church's mission. In essence, the risen Christ always tells his followers, preach the gospel to every creature. So friends, that is the mission of ours and every Christian church. So have you come to faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel of his incarnation, life, ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection? Are you responding with faith, with believing obedience? And remember, like Paul, we are all called to actively serve Christ and share his gospel with others. Amen.